Well, Brother Tom certainly picked an exciting week to go to Washington, didn't he? I keep watching the news, see if I see him there, you know, sort of like Forrest Gump, you know, looking around behind the thing, see if there's Brother Tom. If you have your Bibles today, I want to encourage you to, to take them and turn to First uh, John. It's over in the end of the New Testament. If you didn't bring your Bible, please feel free to use one of the Bibles there in front of you. It's on page, uh, little paperback Bibles, it's on page 660. If you want to turn there to First John, a little hard to find, a little small book, but we're going to look at it this morning as we uh, look to see what God has to say to us. You know, when my kids were smaller, uh, they would often say, well, what are you preaching on, Dad? And I'd always say, well, I think I'll just preach on sin. And I'd say that every time, and they said, Dad, you always preach on sin. And I said, well, you know, it doesn't hurt to preach on it every now and then. Nobody's listening to me anyway, so I'll just keep preaching on it. You know, it, Calvin Coolidge, uh, who was president in the 20s, uh, 1924 to 28, I believe, and he was uh, known as Silent Cow, didn't say much. And in uh, one occasion, uh, he, he'd gone to church, and a reporter got him coming out of church, and he, he said, uh, what was the sermon about today, uh, President Coolidge? And he said, uh, sin. Kept waiting for him to say something else, that's all he said. And he said, well, what did he say about sin? And President Coolidge said, well, uh, I think he was against it. <laughs> you know, sin is one of those things, those words that have sort of uh, fallen out of vogue over the years in churches and in preaching. Uh, I overheard a conversation the other day. It wasn't eavesdropping, but when I hear someone mention the word church, it naturally gets my attention. And this was sort of the conversation. The guy said, well, you know, at our church, um, our preacher never mentioned sin. Uh, we just talk about the love of God because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And uh, we don't want anybody to feel bad uh, when they come to church. But you know, isn't that the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives? To convict us of our sin, to expose our sin, to let us know that we're sinners in need of a Savior so that we can respond to God's free offer of grace and by faith be saved. Isn't that what it's all about? But, but even we, we find ourselves wondering, you know, what do we do about sin? Do we, do we ignore it? Do we preach about it? What, uh, what do we do? Well, well here's, here's one theologian's uh, answer. would do with it right don't you agree with barn we just need to nip it right in the bud right there just just take care of it right away well that's what john tries to do here in first john chapter 1 uh, verse 5 he talks about how to handle sin and he tells us how we can nip it in the bud would you stand with me as we read first john chapter 1 beginning in verse 5 first john chapter 1 verse 5 this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. 
If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. You may be seated. Well, I think as we read John here, we, we, one thing comes across to John. Sin is serious. In, in fact, in, in just eight verses, he, he mentions the word sin nine times. Now, now, notice what he introduces to us in 1 John. He, he tells us two very important things about God. First of all, he tells us, there we, we, we just read the verse there in, in verse 5, that God is light. And when he talks about God being light, he's talking about the, the perfection of God, the righteousness of God, the sinlessness of God, the holiness of God, all of those things that God is and we're not. But if we go on reading in this little letter of 1 John, if we read all the way over to chapter 4, verse 8, he tells us something else. He's already told us God is light, but now he tells us that God is love. Now, a holy and righteous and perfect God is light, but he's also love, and he, he loves you and me as sinners. He, he, he loves us. Even when we were still sinners, even in our sinfulness, he still loves us. And so we see two very different attributes of God that complement each other. The fact that God is light, he's holy and just, and God is love. He, he loves you and me. John tells us about that. And in the middle of all of that, he begins talking a little bit about this thing called sin. And he gives us three statements that people were making in his day. And, and three statements that people still make in one way or another uh, in, in our day, even today. Now, we find these statements by the little three words, if we say. You see that in that passage three times. In verse 6, verse 8, verse 10. We see if we say. First of all, he says, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, if we say, if we say, if we say. And, and every one of those statements, he says, are people are, are lying. It, it's, it's not the truth. It, it, it's not what Scripture teaches. And then he, he refutes that or he counteracts that by telling us what is the truth and what we should do in relation to sin in our lives. Okay, let's look at these, each of these individually, one by one. First of all, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now, now do you notice the contrast? Here is God, he's light. But now he's talking about someone who says, oh yes, I'm, I'm with God. 
but they're walking in darkness. You see, they're, they're saying one thing, but they're doing another. They're, they're saying that they love God and that they're with God, but on the other hand, they're walking, their practice is something totally different. That's why in, chapter, in verse 6 of chapter 2, he says that we ought to walk as he walked. You know, children of the Father ought to act like the Father, right? But he said, if we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, what does he say? We're lying and we do not practice the truth. In other words, as believers, our walk ought to back up our talk. You see, it's one thing to say something. It's another thing to do something. Someone said, when all is said and done, usually more is said than is done. It's easy to talk the talk, but what about walking the walk? Now, somewhere along the way in our Christian culture in America, somewhere around the the mid-20th century, somehow we developed this idea that basically said something like, you know, all I got to do, pray a little prayer, get baptized, join the church, and I'm saved. And then, basically, I can do whatever I want to do for the rest of my life. But one day when I'm old and gray and I die, then I'm going to go to heaven and be with Jesus. Somewhere we got that cheap grace, easy salvation mentality. And we find in Scripture, John said, hey, if we say we have fellowship with him and we're walking in darkness, we're nothing but liars. We're lying. You see, it's, it's, it's easy if we're not careful to try to, try to play a part. You know, we, we, we can live like the devil Monday through Saturday, but then we can get up on Sunday morning, drag ourselves out of bed, put on our Sunday clothes, pick up our Bible, and, and put on our Sunday face, and go to church, and go to small group, and go to worship, and then go home, and we can just get on with our lives. We check that off. We're good. We're safe. We're saved. But all during the week, we're just walking in darkness. John said, if we say that, we're we're lying and we're not practicing the the truth. Now, that's not to say, as we're going to see later, that Christians don't sin. (laughs) We all sin. That's why we needed a Savior, right? And that's not even to say that a a believer can't slip into a a season of carnality. But the proof that we belong to him is the proof that deep down our heart's desire is to be like the Father and to live like the Father and allow his grace and his will to be worked out in our lives. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. And do not the truth. It's said that a businessman who was very ruthless and, and known for his shady dealings once said to Mark Twain, Before I die, I'm going to go to the Holy Land and I'm going to climb up on the top of Mount Sinai and I'm going to read the Ten Commandments. And Mark Twain is said to have replied, Well, why don't you just stay here in Boston and keep the Ten Commandments? It's important not just what we say but what we do. 
You see, if we're not careful, we can get pretty good at faking it, can't we? I was once talking to a man who, who was a, an athlete, and he'd been a good athlete in college, and he'd come to know Christ. He said, but you know, the whole time I was in college, I was lost, and I, would, I was in fellowship of Christian athletes and all that kind of stuff. He said, but I was lost. He said, I would get out of bed with a girl on Sunday morning and go speak in a church that very day. You know, I wonder how often that happens in churches all across our land. Where we just sort of, you know, push all that stuff aside for just a little while, and we come and we learn to fake it for just a little while. But you know, no matter how much you tell a lie, it doesn't make it the truth, does it? In fact, it's just getting bigger and bigger and larger and larger. He said, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. So, so what should we do? He says it there in verse 7. He said, instead, if, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Walk in the light. He said, instead of walking in darkness... Walk in the light because God is light. And notice what happens when we walk in the light. We have fellowship with other believers. Now, now we would expect it to say that we would have fellowship with God. Well, that's a given. When we walk in the light, see, in the light, we have fellowship with God. But notice, when we have fellowship with God, then we also have fellowship with other believers. You see, that, that's why we can't use this cop out. well, I can be a Christian without going to church. Because going to church doesn't make you a Christian. That's right. Going to church does not make you a Christian. But Christians want to go to church. Because when your relationship is right with God, you want to be with other believers. You want to be with brothers and sisters in Christ. You want to have fellowship with them. So when we're walking in the light, we have fellowship with other believers. We have fellowship with God. And notice that the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us. Cleanses us from all of our Sin. Katharizo is the word there, and it's a continual cleansing. You see, when, when, when God saved me, when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord, at that moment, once and for all, all the sins I've ever committed, all the sins I ever will forget, they I ever will commit, they were forgiven and forgotten by God there on the cross. Unfortunately, I didn't quit sinning when I got saved. In fact, I've sinned a lot more since I was saved than before I was saved because I was only seven when I got saved. All those sins were taken care of, but that cleansing is a continual thing. We, we get our word catharsis or, or catheter from that, and, and it's a continual cleansing. It's a process we call sanctification. It's God making us to be like Jesus, and it's a constant thing as we face our sin, as we, as we deal with our sin, as we, as we walk in the light. Jesus' blood cleanses me from all of my sin that I've ever committed, that I ever will commit. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, John says we lie. But, but notice the second thing that he says. The second if we say, there in verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So not only are we lying to others by saying we belong to God and walking in darkness, but if we say that we have no sin in our life, we're just lying to ourselves. Evidently, there were some in John's day, and there's still some in our day, by the way, who teach that as believers that we can reach this point in our life where we no longer sin. 
In other words, we can read the Bible enough, we can pray enough, and we can get mature enough that we can reach this level that we might call sinless per perfection, and we no longer sin. John said, if we say that, we're lying. Let me put it in our vernacular. If someone tells you that they no longer sin, just understand they're a few fries short of a Happy Meal. All right? That's not what the Scripture says. We lie. We deceive ourselves. We're just deceiving ourselves. John is very clear in that. You see, whoever believes that there's no sin in our life, then it's probably proof that the Holy Spirit doesn't live in your life to begin with because what does he do? He convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So instead of going around saying, well, I don't sin, because you know that's what the world thinks that we think. They think that you and I as believers, that we think that we're perfect, that we're better than them, and that we're looking down on them and, quote, we're judging them. You ever had someone say, don't judge me, right? As, as believers, we don't think we're perfect. We know we're not perfect. We know we mess up. We know we need a Savior. We don't claim to be perfect. But aren't you glad we have a perfect Savior? Aren't you glad we have a living Lord? So he said, instead of walking around acting like you're perfect and that you don't have any sin, instead what you're to do, notice there in verse 9, you need to confess your sin. And if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now notice what that says. When we confess it, it says that he is faithful and he is just. There again, God is life. He's faithful. He's just. He will forgive us. In other words, he, he blots that out. He takes that out of our account, lays it on Jesus, and then he cleanses us. There's that word again. Cleanses us from, from all sin, every sin. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. He removes them as far as the east is from the west. He cleanses us from all sin. There's nothing that God doesn't forgive us of. We confess. Now, now what does the word confess mean? Basically, it means to agree with God. It means to say the same thing about it. Confession is not just saying, well, hey, I'll just live like I want to during the week. On Sunday, I'll go talk to the priest, I'll light a candle, I'll take communion, I'll go to church, I'll go down to the front and pray, and everything will be all right again. That's, that's not confession. Confession is even more than being sorry. Confession is agreeing with God that it's sin, that it's wrong, and it has no place in our life as believers. It means that we agree with God about that as we confess it to Him. Stories told years ago of a lady that uh, there was a revival going on. It was told to be a true story. I don't know if it might be a little bit of one, you know, one of those preacher tales. But a revival was going on. The preacher was preaching, well-known preacher. And uh, it was preaching a revival, and he gave an altar call. And this lady came down the, all, the aisle and, uh, who was a, a big gossip, uh, strifester, talebearer. And she came down, and she said to the preacher, she said, Pastor, I believe that I need to put my tongue on the altar. And they said, the pastor said, well, this altar's only 16 feet long, but put as much of it up there as you can. You see, when we confess our sin, 
You know, it's not like we say, well, Lord, if I've sinned today, please forgive me. <laughs> it's not, Lord, if I've sinned today, I've sinned today. And it's the Holy Spirit bringing it to my mind and, and, and me confessing it, me saying it, me, me agreeing with it. Now, that doesn't mean that if I leave one out, that I'm not forgiven of that, okay? It doesn't mean that I, if I forget one, I mean, the Holy Spirit brings them. I don't, normally don't have trouble remembering them because the Holy Spirit brings them to my remembrance even though they're many. But as we confess those to God and, and he, he forgives us of those, then, then it gets it out of the way of our relationship with Him. Because sometimes we can get so much junk in there that it robs us of our joy. It robs us of our fellowship. doesn't rob us of our relationship. We still belong to Him. We're still His children, but it robs us of our fellowship. You see, another thing we shouldn't do when we confess is we shouldn't try to, you know, always categorize. You know, well, I, I save confession for the really big ones, and I just sort of generalize the really small ones. You see, small things grow into big things, right? Small sins can have big consequences. A little small sin can take hold, take root in our life, and before long it becomes a habit, and before long then it can begin to destroy us. James said a tongue's a small thing, but hey, hey uh, it's a rudder is too, but it can steer a ship. A bit strong, but it can guide a horse. The sins of the tongue can cause great havoc in our life and in our family and in our churches. So we may consider it small, but God considers it sin. The scripture says if you offend the law in one point, you're guilty of it all. So it's not about us keeping a record of what other people have done and what we have done and make ourselves think we're better than them. It's about looking inside as the Holy Spirit convicts us and we confess our sin to God. Now, now notice, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He cleanses us. Well, the first if we say we have fellowship, we walk in darkness. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. But then notice it gets even worse. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Can, can you believe some, someone would get so much to the point that they would say, hey, well, hey, not only do I not sin now, I never have sinned. Is anybody in that category? If you are, just ask your spouse. They'll set you straight real quick. You're not in that category. It's like the preacher went home one Sunday. He, he felt he'd really preached a good sermon. He was really feeling good about himself. And, and over the lunch table, he said to his wife, he said, Honey, how many really great preachers do you think there are in the Southern Baptist Convention? And she said, One less than you think they are. <laughs> you see, if we're not careful, we can really begin to think highly of ourselves. Even to the point where we've not sinned. The scripture says, if you say that, you make God a liar. Because what does Romans 3.23 say? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The, the word for sin there really means to, to, to miss the mark. Now, as I look around this room, I see we have a lot of expert bow hunters. And when you bow hunt and, and, and you put that arrow in the bow and you pull it back and you let it go, I know you hit bullseye every time. I put an arrow in the bow and, and pull it back. Uh, I'm lucky if the arrow gets out of the bow. I mean, you know, if it hits the side of the building, I'm, I'm lucky. But that's sort of the picture there. Sin is, is missing the mark. And gang, we've all missed the mark. 
Talking to a guy the other day, he said, well, I've always been a Christian. You haven't always been a Christian. No one has always been a Christian. If you have always been a Christian, that means you've never been a Christian. Because we're all born with a sin nature and that sin has to be paid for. And Jesus Christ died on the cross for it 2,000 years ago. But there comes a time in our life where we have to personally believe and receive so that our sins can be taken care of. These people said, well, we've, we've never sinned. And John said, hey, not only are you lying, but you're making out God a liar. But then notice the goal very quickly. Verse 1 of chapter 2, he said, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. You may not sin. In other words, the goal is to not sin. You see, because we've got to be careful when we're talking about sin that we don't fall into one of two extremes. One extreme is, well, well if I'm going to sin anyway, why worry about it? Might as well just go ahead and get it over with, live it up. That's what... Paul addresses in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. He said, hey, don't say, hey, well, let's just sin so that grace, if we're saved by grace, let's just sin all we can so that we can get more and more grace. Paul said, you missed the whole point. On, on the other side of the coin is the person that says, well, you know, I just can't live it. I just can't go without sinning. You ever heard someone say, well, I'm not going to become a Christian because I just can't live the life? Hey, none of us can live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit that God put in us when he saved us. That's why he put his Holy Spirit in us. So that we could walk in, in, in his power and, and not fulfill the, the lust of the flesh. Because when we, got, when we were born, we were born with a sinful nature. And when we got saved, God put within us a new nature. Scripture says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. But ever since the day that you were saved, that old nature and that new nature have been battling with one another. And every day you have to decide whether you're going to put on the new man or you're going to put on the old man. Every day you've got to decide, am I going to walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh? Or am I going to walk in the flesh and do all the things that the world does? And the Holy Spirit's living within us, helping us to know what is right and what is not right. He said, the goal is that you do not sin. But when, if anyone does sin, or better, when you do sin, notice what we have as believers. We have an advocate with the Father. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That word advocate, parakletos, means one who walks alongside. It's only used four of the times in Scripture, in John's Gospel, and it always refers to the Holy Spirit. When Jesus said, I'm going to send you a helper, I'm going to send you one who will come and walk alongside you, he refers to the Holy Spirit. Well, now John calls Jesus our advocate. What's he talking about? Well, it's a great deal for us. You see, we have an advocate here on earth in our hearts, the Holy Spirit. And we have an advocate in heaven, Jesus. Warren Wiersbe says it's like we're on one great party line. You got Jesus in heaven, the Spirit in our heart, and then, and then we're there together. We have fellowship with the Father through the Son, and the Father has fellowship with us through His Spirit. It all connects together. He's our advocate. If, if we were to put that in, in, in our language today, it would be like saying that, that Jesus is our defense attorney. Uh, I said in the early service, I, it doesn't even seem right to compare Jesus to a lawyer, right? I mean, but, but that's what it's saying right there. Had a lawyer in the early service, that probably didn't go over too good, right? But he's our lawyer. Picture the picture right here. 
Picture the picture. Here you have the judge, the father. Okay, we got that. And here's us, me, the, the accused. But my lawyer, my attorney, my advocate, the one who's standing right by me, speaking on my behalf, is Jesus Christ. But now there's one other person in this, and that's the prosecuting attorney over here. And who is the prosecuting attorney? Our enemy, the devil. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. He stands before the throne of God, accusing the brethren day and night. You see what's happening? Here's the devil over here, the prosecutor. And he's saying, hey, judge, did you see what God did, what Don did? Hey, judge, did you hear what Don said? Hey, judge, did you see what Don, what Don thought? Here's my defense attorney, Jesus. You're right, Father. He's right. Don did that. Don said that. Don thought that. But remember, Judge, remember, Father, already paid for that. Already died for that. My blood covers that. And while Don is technically guilty, Your Honor, because of me, he's innocent. He's free. And when the judge looks at me, he doesn't see me in all my sinfulness. He sees me clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, my defense attorney. That's why our attorney is Jesus Christ, the righteous. And that's why the Lord says, not guilty. Now, the devil's going to accuse us. He's going to bring things up. But our defense attorney is there on our behalf. Why can we do that very quickly? Because the next verse, verse 2 said, because he is the propitiation for our sins. That, that word propitiation literally means that, that he is the satisfaction. He is the payment for our sin. Remember, God is light. He's holy. He's just. You see, some people think that in the end, God's just going to say, oh, well, don't worry about it. You all tried your best. Come on into heaven. Now, if God is light, if he's holy and just, he can't do that. Because a holy and just God must punish sin. And all of us are sinners. We're all guilty. So what our holy God did who's also a loving God, the scripture says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He sent Jesus to die on the cross and he put all of my sin on Jesus. When I received him as my Lord and Savior, all of my sin was taken care of because he was the payment. He was the propitiation. He was the the sacrifice for my sin. And then all we do is we just trust Him. We just believe and we receive. The Scripture says, If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart man believes unto righteousness, like Abraham did in their small group, and, the, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord, will be saved.
everybody's saved the same way. What's our sin problem? Well, we've all got it. Unbeliever sin, believer sin. The difference is, as believers, we have an advocate. Jesus, who is standing in our behalf. I don't know where you are this morning in, in your walk with the Lord. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe you're like the person we talked about earlier. You, you, you live two very different lives. You, you've got a church life, and then you've got the rest of your life. That's a very miserable way to live. You know, someone trying to stand on both sides of the fence, that's, that's very miserable. The good news is you don't have to because, like John said, he's the propitiation for our sins and for the sins of the whole world. See, Jesus died for you. He did for you what you couldn't do for yourself. And so today, all you can do is believe and receive what Jesus did as you commit your life to him. Maybe as a believer today, you found yourself and for whatever reason, you're not walking close to the Lord. Things that, that you used to didn't do, you do now. And you're struggling. Maybe you've been just trying to pretend and lie to yourself. Instead of doing that, all Scripture says all you got to do is confess it. Just agree with God. Give it to Him. Let Him have it. And let a faithful and just Jesus cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Would you bow your head just for a moment as, as Stu's coming to, to, to lead us in a, in a song? You know, we're not perfect. But sin is serious. And like old Barney used to say, we need to nip it in the bud. And we do that by confessing it to God, agreeing with God. Let him God, let God take it away. Let God forgive us of it. Because sin's serious because sin has consequences. E even when God forgives us, there's still consequences for our sin. You can't unscramble an egg. So, so why do we want to violate God's laws and act like it doesn't matter? You know, a slave obeys because he has to. Employee obeys because he wants to. He needs the paycheck. But we obey Jesus because we want to, because we love him. You see, every time I sin, I'm reminded that that sin cost Jesus his life on the cross. You think of even one little sin in your life. If that was the only sin you ever committed, if that was the only sin committed in the whole world, that sin was enough that Jesus had to die on the cross in order for you to be saved. So that makes that little sin pretty important. And I can't just get on with that sin without seeing Jesus on the cross dying in my place. Sin's serious. Because it robs us of our joy, robs us of our fellowship. When David had sinned in the Old Testament, as he tried to hang on to it, the scripture says that he felt like his bones were breaking. That's a burden God doesn't intend for you to carry around, that, that burden of unconfessed sin. Why carry it one more step? Why go one more day? Scripture says today is the day of salvation.
Maybe for the first time you need to give your life to Jesus today. Maybe for the first time in a long time you need to confess your sin to God and, and get things right with him. Life's too short not to live it in all the fullness that he wants us to live. And so as Stu plays and we stand to sing, there are going to be come, folks coming forward that will pray with you or, or help you if you have a decision you need to make. You feel free to come if God lays it on your heart.